0: The no pain, no gain mantra is what's gonna lead to success. And it's so interesting because of all the research kind of shows the opposite. So actually, you know, if you set yourself up to like punish yourself into change, it's much more likely that you'll fail. It's much more likely you'll go off track sooner because basically the goals that you're trying to push yourself into, you don't really connect with them on a deeper level.
1: This is the Ideas Lab podcast, where you can learn from great creative and entrepreneurial minds how to turn your ideas into original businesses, books, and brands. Because in a crowded world, it pays to stand out. This is your host, John Williams, best-selling author and founder of the Ideas Lab London. A lot of us find it really hard to change our deeply ingrained habits, whether it's giving up a bad habit that's bad for our health or our concentration, or trying to adopt a new habit. So I was glad to have this conversation with Dr. Heather McKee, who is a behavior change specialist consulting to organizations. This is a really honest conversation between Heather and me, where we talk through some of our own bad habits, and Heather gives some cracking advice on how to change them. Welcome, Heather. Thank you for joining us on the Ideas Lab podcast.
0: Thanks for having me. It's an honour.
1: So you are a specialist in habit change for health, which sounds like a very useful thing. And you help organisations um, uh, where you consult corporations uh, who are creating apps. Is that mainly your kind of core work?
0: Yeah, so um, well, I come from an academic background, so I kind of, my early work was all in universities kind of looking at how people can change their behavior and what it takes to actually maintain healthy behaviors long term. Um, so a lot of my work now is um, yeah, um with various different companies, helping them, yeah, anyone who's got a well-being program and wants to know actually, you know, how do you create lasting change and how do you kind of get the foundations right before you kind of establish a program or if there is an established program, you know, how do you kind of I've made this word up, but behavior change-ify it um, (laughs) so that you can make the practices more habitual. Because my passion is, you know, helping people find joy in their healthy habits. And if you can find joy in being healthy, um, you know, it's much more likely that it's going to be something that's going to stick for the rest of your life.
1: So that's interesting. Yeah. And how do you find joy? There's all sorts of habits I can think of I should probably adopt, like, you know, going to bed at a reasonable time, um, exercising every day. Some of those I, I can't imagine enjoying them, but how do you, can you, is it possible to create a joy around any habit that's positive for you?
0: Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think, yeah, and I think this is a problem that people come up against a lot when they try and create new habits. So, like typically January, where we're like, okay, well, it's January now, so I must, give up alcohol have no sugar be nice to my other half you know save loads of money everything else um, and the thing is the habits that you enjoy are the habits that you stick with and so there's two ways to kind of look at this if you're trying to do too much at once it's going to be very very difficult and often we kind of you know shut all over ourselves and tell ourselves oh we should be doing this and we should be trying this and we should be doing all these things but if you hate kale don't eat a kale salad if you hate spinning, don't go spinning. It's not the healthy habit for you. Um, And what I encourage people to do around this is to create a joy list. So what are those healthy habits that you enjoy? Maybe it's, you know, you enjoy a stroll in the park, you know, with the fresh breeze. Maybe it's you enjoy going into your garden. Maybe you enjoy having a hot water and lemon first thing in the morning. Maybe you enjoy meditating. And, you know, We need to focus less on what we don't like to do and actually focus more on what we do like to do and try and bring more of that into our lives. Because as soon as we kind of find a healthy habit, fun or enjoyable, that's kind of that's it for you. Like that's the magic sauce, the secret sauce, you know, and if we can find those habits that bring us joy and cultivate more of them in our life, it's much more likely that we'll actually live a happier and healthier life.
1: Yeah, I I think that's a really good idea rather than trying to do things that you think are going to help. So I spot the exercises that I enjoy doing. I enjoy kayaking. I enjoy cycling. And there are a few others as well. And, you know, sometimes I think it's more important that I go to the gym and do some exercise, even if, you know, a a trainer would tell me, actually, that's not the perfect one for losing weight. or That's not the perfect one for you at your age. It's just like, yeah, but I like that one. So I'm going to do it. So, it's probably doing some good, it's increasing blood flow, it's moving my body it's gonna it's not gonna be you know uh, detrimental unless I'm doing something very uh, you know lifting a stupid weight or something um and I think much better to do that than to tell myself I have to turn up the gym for an hour and do some exercise that I find nightmarish or tedious or something
0: yeah, no you're absolutely right John. Like, and and I would say you know the the second part of this is that if you find it a certain habit hard, so let's say, you know, walking or going to the gym, think about how you can layer joy onto that. So maybe it's that you really enjoy your trainer and he makes it fun for you to go to the gym or you really like the gym environment and that feels more fun for you. Or you listen to kind of, 80s pop when you work out which makes it fun for you or you go and do it with a friend which makes it more fun for you um so you know those things that maybe you find a little bit harder if you can layer more joy onto those as well it makes it a little bit easier and like you say you know have a feeling in control of your own program and being able to do those exercises that you enjoy makes it much more likely actually that you'll show up um, and show up consistently which is really important
1: yeah, and that's a really good idea. I, there's, there's a weird thing in us, in, in humans, I notice, where when we decide to do something, it's almost like we want to punish ourselves. And so, you know, I'm going to eat like zero carbs for the rest of my life, or, you know, I will give up, you know, all, all desserts rather than having one a week. Or And it's so draconian. It's like something you would prescribe as a punishment for somebody. I don't know what that instinct is that makes people want to do that. Have you have you noticed that yourself?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I call it like the no pain, no gain mantra, um, which is what we all think is what's going to lead to success. And it's so interesting because of all the research kind of shows the opposite. So actually, you know, if you set yourself up to like punish yourself into change, it's much more likely that you'll fail. It's much more likely you'll go off track sooner because basically – the goals that you're trying to push yourself into, you don't really connect with them on a deeper level, if that makes sense. So similar to like, you know, if you're trying to build a business that you don't really connect with, you know, you really have to kind of, um, you know, Simon Sinek, you know, you have to go back to your why. Um, and I think that's really important when it comes to, um, you know, habit change is so often, you know, we take this kind of all or nothing approach, um, and yeah, if it's not painful and if it's not punishing, you know, it's not worthwhile, but actually it's actually really ineffective and actually the habits that stick the best are those that are formed kind of gently formed slower, um, slower. Formed because actually they mean something to us. So there's a concept in psychology called intrinsic motivation, um, and it's all around. Actually, um, you know, it, it translates in Latin into the word "goods for the soul," um, and it's all about you know things that actually make you feel alive. So you know, you know, being a healthy person allows you to be at your best each day. Allows you to give yourself to your family best it allows you to give yourself to your work best it's about finding those values about being being healthy is rather than focusing on the number on the scales the number you're going to the time you're going to run in a marathon how heavy you lifted in the gym the number on your paycheck they're all extrinsic goals and those goals unfortunately they need the kind of Facebook likes, they need the kind of pats on the back, they need the extrinsic validation for you to carry through with them. And that's why those goals aren't sticky. Whereas if you know you're pursuing something because it's making you feel better each day, it's in line with who you are, what you believe, and what you wish to represent in the world, then those goals are the sticky goals. That's an intrinsic goal. If you identify with that goal, if you form, if it's formed part of who you are and it's part of actually, you know the key values that you hold as an individual, those are the goals that we're going to stick to. And those are the goals that we're less punishing at. Because we all think that we can kind of beat ourselves with a big stick into habit change. But actually time and time again, they've shown in studies that actually having a more compassionate approach, taking a slower approach, actually results in more long-term change. So I always say to people, you know, to make bite-sized changes. And like changes that are so laughably small that actually, you know, they're almost too easy. And I almost say, if you don't laugh out loud at how ridiculously small this change is, then it's not the place to start. Um, So an example of that would be, you know, if you've got, if you take, if you're trying to cut down on sugar, let's just say, and so often the kind of no pain, no gain um, mantra would be, okay, well, let's just cut sugar from my life. No more sugar, like it's not going to happen. Whereas habit change doesn't really work like that. So I like to look at habits like a tangled knot, you know, and if we look at sugar like a tangled knot, if we try to pull that apart, it only gets tighter. You know, what you resist persists, you know, Um, whereas if we look for that kind of low hanging fruit, those easier outside tangles and we look to untangle them first, you know, in time through kind of confidence and competence gained from actually succeeding at those easier goals, we can get to those harder knots. And eventually, you know, the habit loop will be kind of, you know, untied and that knot will be untied. And the way in which to do that is to start really, really small. So with the sugar example, you know, if you're finding that maybe you want to cut out sugar in your tea, for example, rather than cutting it all out in your, of your tea, you know, start with half a teaspoon, you know, it sounds ridiculously small, let's say you have two teaspoons in your tea, but if you just if you take sugar out of your tea and two or three days in and you're like, Well, I can't stand the taste of tea without sugar, you know, you're just gonna relapse into old behaviors. Whereas if you start to adapt your palate over time, and actually if you look at you know, if you had one if you had like say two or three cups of tea a day and you're having half a teaspoon less over time that cumulatively that actually has a big impact um i don't know if you've seen the studies that they did on the 2012 cycling team and um, so like really high performance team really trained for optimization and what they did with that team is they looked at all of the tiny little bite-sized things that they could do to actually enhance performance so they looked at how they washed their hands you know to prevent disease they looked at their pillows they looked at what sheets they had what massage gels and all those kind of tiny little 1% changes cumulatively added up to you know massive success um at the 2012 olympics um but they looked at the smallest things almost laughable i think one of them that really sticks out in my mind is um they painted the inside of the bike sheds white so they could see if there was any like tiny particles of dust that might have fallen on the bikes that would hamper you know performance um but i suppose my point here is you know small changes cumulatively can have a big effect yeah. But you want to start small. You want to be gentle. You want to be kind to yourself because actually, that's what gets the momentum going.
1: It, and I'm realizing more and more as I get older that the it's it's not it's not about achieving one goal temporarily that makes the biggest impact on your life. It's instilling a habit or process or something that really pays off. So if you make that small adjustment and you you. Stick to that, and you use that again and again. That has much bigger effect than you going on some crash diet for three weeks and then falling off it afterwards. You know, in terms of your life, if you, for instance, go from two spoons of sugar to one and a half, that will will actually make a big difference, particularly over the course of your life. And it's that stuff that really pays off. I remember a friend of mine saying she was starting to gain weight, and she was she stopped eating a biscuit with her afternoon cup of tea. And that was enough to tip her from out of gaining weight and actually starting to lose weight. Because one biscuit with your cup of tea is eighty calories or whatever it might be, depending on what the biscuit is. And, and and plus it's you know there's a lot of sugar in it. So if you have a kind of sensitive response to sugar, then it's it's even worse than the than just the raw calories. And um, and it is sometimes things like that make the the biggest difference. But what do you do about Things where it feels like a really sticky habit, like if I want to stop looking at Facebook, um, you know, asking for a friend here, if I wanted to stop looking at Facebook quite so often on my phone, how do I start to change that habit? Because I think you've said that willpower is not the answer. Is that right? Do I not? I don't just go like, right, I'm not going to look at it. And that's it.
0: Yeah. Uh, That's one of the biggest myths of habit change, actually. We all think we can willpower our way into success. And that's what the entire diet industry is based upon. Um, And it's an absolute farce. Um, You know, willpower is is like a muscle. So, you know, if you go to the gym every day and exercise your right bicep, by the time you get to the end of the week, you wouldn't be able to pick up a glass of water or a cup of tea. But if you go and you train in adequate amounts, you know, taking proper rest and recovery in between, having variety, everything else, you know, you're going to get stronger over time. But what we do is we rely Completely on our willpower rather than actually setting ourselves up with the environment that best supports change. And so, those that are most successful at habit change, they're not necessarily those with the strongest self control. They're the people that have set up their environment so they're least tempted. And what I mean about that is so, where your brain goes, where your attention goes, your brain follows. And so, you know. I always say to people, take a look at your environment, because if you can change your environment, then change can happen. And so, you know, how, how does Facebook present itself in your day? You know, is it on your phone? Is it the first thing you see when you're on your phone? Do you get notifications about it? You know, your phone itself is a micro environment. Um, and so what you see on that homepage, you know, I always say to people, you know, think about what that environment is, because that's best representing your goals. This is one of the things that you look at most during your day um so think about what's on that so if you're trying to read more you know is a reading app the first thing you see are you getting reading app notifications if you're trying to meditate more is your meditation app the first thing you see are you getting meditation notifications if you don't want to be in facebook you know is it hidden away and in in kind of um, behavioural science terms, what we call that is increasing friction. So you want to increase friction to the unhelpful behaviours and decrease friction to the helpful ones. So for example, you know, is there somewhere you can put your phone um, during the day because every time you get a message from Facebook that cues you to engage in that behavior um, whereas if you can see your phone in your eyeline you're much more likely to engage with it just like if you had you know a piece of cake on your desk at work you know you'd be much more likely to engage with it um, so think about your environment think about you know what notifications you're getting where is Facebook in your environment you know how often Are you in contact with your phone? Is your phone visible? Because anything that's in your eye line is a visual cue to engage in a habit. And when we think about a habit loop, habits start with a cue or a trigger, you know, then there's a behavior, then there's a reward. So if we can look at what those cues and triggers are in our environment and reduce those and actually increase the likelihood that we engage with those helpful habits. So for example, leaving out your weights you know in your kitchen or your yoga mat lying out or your running shoes or having a fruit bowl or the cherry tomatoes being the first thing you see when you open the fridge not the giant piece of cake or your meditation app being the app that notifies you rather than your facebook app um you know we can engineer our environments to actually best support our habits and that doesn't require our willpower it requires yes a little bit of an investment now but you know, long term, if we can engineer an environment that's both supportive of change, it means that change is much more likely to happen for us.
1: That's a really good idea, and I, yeah, I like the idea of like you know, fewer notifications on Facebook and more notifications from the things you actually want to use. I I noticed that, um, that that because there's that habit built and it's so strong to look for my phone and look at the sort of payoff at the little red dot, the little red number on Facebook. I um, if I leave it, I've got a, a, a wireless charger next to me here. And if I leave my phone on that and then lie down on my sofa behind me, I will feel this like instinct of like, Oh, has anything happened on, you know, on my phone? Is there something I should check you after like five or 10 minutes? And because it, I'd have to get up and walk over and get it. It's enough to just, I can feel a little bit of discomfort. It's like, Oh, I can't immediately look at it, but it's, it's not as much discomfort as getting off the sofa walking over and getting it, and it, that if it's next to me, I'll almost always give in and 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 I guess you know related to what you're saying if um if you've got notifications all over the front of your phone um like well, like I have um at the moment you go and look at it, then you need willpower to actually not go into them. Whereas if they're not coming up, like one of the things I do is I've, I think I've got some notifications for Facebook, but I've switched most of them off as as push notifications. So I have to go in to see, you know, I don't get, I don't get a pop up just because somebody likes a post or something. And I, I, and by doing that, it means yeah, that, that's you're taking away that that necessity to result to use pure willpower. It's like there's something interesting there. It's like having a cake on your desk. I've got a cake on my desk, but I'm not going to eat it. I'm not going to eat it. And that's much harder work than if you don't have it or you can't see it or whatever.
0: Yeah, there's a really interesting study that they um, did on um, receptionists and they had um, M&Ms in a bowl on their desk Um, and some receptionists, they were on the desk and some of the receptionists, they were six meters away, the bowls of M&Ms. And after a year, the ones that had the M&Ms on their desk, you know, weighed like, seven or eight pounds more than the ones that had them and them that were six feet away and it's kind of proximity determines you know the habits that you're going to engage with and what you've done is a really good kind of friction um enabler where you've kind of created that pause where you actually have to consciously decide okay I have to get up and go and get my phone and consciously engage with it in order to use it and that just kind of allows you to think about whether that's something you want to do or not and I mean this in the least offensive way but humans are inherently lazy and so you know we don't want to do things that are hard so if we can make it harder to engage in our unhealthful habits then it's much less likely that we'll engage with them and another thing that's quite interesting um, and I've I was talking to a few companies recently and they've been trialing this is actually to set yourself a time for that so a lot of people you know, at the moment, I've been suffering with kind of doom scrolling and, you know, they, they're keeping up to date with like, you know, news feeds and everything else. And actually, one thing we've been experimenting with is actually well putting a time in on your calendar that you're going to use Facebook or you're going to look at the news and actually that's completely dedicated time and in a way by knowing that that time is there it actually provides you with the ability to resist that temptation during the day because you say well actually you know I'm I've got that time in later that's when that that task is going to happen rather than kind of you know there's a concept in um, positive psychology they call it time confetti I don't know. If you've heard no, about I it, know that. But,
1: I know about positive psychology, but I haven't heard that term.
0: Well, it's, it's these little time windfalls that we get in our day where we get a bit of space. Um, and and at, right now at the moment, you know, as a society, we we just want to fill the space, so we want to go on our phone and and get those messages read, and you know, finish off, you know, any of those notifications on Facebook or get that kind of quick hit or whatever. We're less likely to sit there and you know stare out the window which is actually <laughs> sounds ridiculous but actually is much better for our cognitive load and much better for our brains in general because it gives us a chance to actually step away from screens take a break and actually compress any kind of learning that we've condense any learning that we've just had and actually allows our brains to start to think more clearly, rather than kind of filling them up with more to do, to do, to do. And so, actually, by dedicating a specific time where you go on social media, um, it can help you alleviate that pressure on yourself throughout the day.
1: I think that's a really good point, and I, I remind myself sometimes, particularly if I'm out and say I'm stuck in a queue or something, and I know it's only going to be a couple of minutes. My temptation is to go straight to my phone, and I actually say to myself like be bored. Like allow yourself to be bored for a minute because I know it's, I've I've read this research says it's good for you. And what I noticed uh, a while ago is that I wasn't having as many ideas, creative ideas for writing for, for like the next book. And I, and I kind of wonder why that was happening. And I think it came down to a couple of things and I, and one of them is that I get a lot of my ideas while reading other non-fiction books. So they stimulate a lot of ideas. Like I've been trying to read *Sapiens* for three years <laughs> or something, because every page I read just makes my brain just go, "Oh my god!" and it like flies <laughs> off and has a thousand ideas. I just I just find the book mind blowing, uh, but it takes a long time to read for that reason. Which and and nothing else, nothing I surf on social media, even the blog posts I read, it's, it's extremely rare that a post, even when it's well-written has the effect a book does for some reason. Um, and then the other thing I realized is that it was filling every moment where in the past, a few years back, I would have been, you know, staring into space or whatever. And now I fill it with looking at my phone. And so I've tried to adjust those, uh, two things with, um, with with some success now i I make a point of staring out the window and stuff like that i'm lucky i've got quite a nice view out the window which helps as well so
0: it's just that concept because the thing is like we we have this especially i think as entrepreneurs and business owners that feeling that we need to achieve in every moment and actually by not achieving we're achieving more if that makes sense But we have to almost give ourselves permission to take that time. And we're so used to filling that time that it actually becomes quite difficult for us to actually take space between time. But it goes back to what we said about the phone environment. You know, if you get a moment of time, you know, maybe it's about having a few things that you do when you get that time confetti. So you're less likely to engage with your phone. So maybe it's like taking a few deep breaths or you know looking out the window or you know standing on one leg because it's you know what your pt said would be good for your glutes or you know taking a stretch or having a glass of water and it sounds so simplistic but if we can start to train ourselves to do other things rather than fill our time at that time it might be even that you think about something you're grateful for that day or you know how um, you know, when you're there half laughed this morning, how nice that was or something you're looking forward to in the evening, you know, allowing ourselves to daydream and to idle for a while is, yeah, really, can be really productive in the long run.
1: Yeah. Uh, I interviewed um, Manny Vea, who's, um who uh, runs a thing called 2,000 Books. And he he's, his aim was to read, I think it was 2,000 Books, over the course of, I don't know how, I think he was reading a book every day. I forget now. (laughs) He's the current episode. And he was just finishing off a nonfiction book every single day. And I said, well, how do you do that? And and I assumed it would be all about speed reading. And he suddenly does speed read. He says, basically just use those fragments of time and all all those fragments of time where we are tempted to look at our phone or do whatever else is our, you know, distraction of choice. He actually picks up the book that he's currently reading and, reads that, even if it's one page and puts it down, you know, and that like, it's amazing what you can get done when you're not filling that time confetti with, you know, waste with stuff that doesn't actually have any value.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because it goes back to, like you say, like, what are our values? So what are those things that we want to be notified of or get get in place and I, I'm sure that he probably has his book in proximity, in eyeline, in reach that he knows he can reach for it and he's made it easy for himself to reach for it um, you know, during the day. So it's it's just about, you know, taking a step back and saying, Well, what do I value? Where do I want to go in life? And how do I create an environment that best supports that? Because you'd be surprised at actually how simple it is to make changes to your environment, but how massive that can have an impact on your health, happiness, productivity, everything else.
1: Yeah, I'm noticed that I like physical books. I like paperbacks more than Kindle. And part of the reason why is because I get excited just looking at the cover. It makes me want to read it. Whereas the Kindle is just this, you know, dead piece of technology until you switch it on. And then I think what they've really missed on Amazon is it goes straight into the book. I I would rather they showed as a screensaver because they they used to have authors, and then I think they probably got some stick because all the authors were men, because the, all the authors are like 100 years old in order to be as un- controversial as possible. And they replaced it with pencils. So I I wish they had the, the, the screensaver on Kindle is the current book you're reading, because that would make me want to pick it up. And read it. Now, there's a privacy issue. Some people might not want to see. They might like the fact that you can't tell what you're reading on the Kindle, but you could always set that as an option. So unless maybe there is an option to show your current book and I haven't actually seen it, but I'd, I'd love that to be the case. I, there's a question that came up for me earlier, which a friend of mine runs Beyond Chocolate and they have a, an interesting philosophy about food and they help um, women have a healthier relationship with food. And um, and they, it, it's run by two women, Audrey and, uh, and Sophie, who are sisters. And their philosophy is that actually, if you can fall back in love with food and with your body, you can have any kind of temptation around you and you can have, they actually say, if your weakness is M&Ms, go and buy a maxi pack of M&Ms and have them in the house. And then, you know, you can eat them whenever you want, but there are some rules around it. And so, um, they say that, uh, whatever you eat, you have to put it on a plate. So you have to kind of like, if you're going to have a bunch of M&Ms, you take the amount of M&Ms you think you'll probably want, stick them on a plate, sit them down, and then you have to eat consciously. So unlike the receptionists who were probably working when they ate, the, it's okay to eat an M&M, but you have to actually be doing nothing but eating the M&Ms. And then when it, you might find that after one or two, but actually that's what, all I needed. I just needed that little hit of sugar or something. And I don't need to eat, Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, without thinking about it. But do you think, but I've often wondered, because I feel like if I have chocolate in the house, I will eat it. I will, I know it's there and I will want a piece after every meal. And I seem to be quite sensitive to sugar and put on weight very easily if I eat anything with sugar in it. So, I mean, uh, uh, what's going on there? Do, do you believe in their philosophy or does it, do you think it does the research show it's better not to have the stuff in the house?
0: Um, so that's a great question. And it's something actually I cover in, in my new course is mindful eating and having a mindful relationship and cultivating intuition with yourself. So knowing, am I eating emotionally or am I eating for a physical need? Um, or am I eating for enjoyment? And being able to actually differentiate between those is really important because it doesn't tend to be that we will overeat broccoli for example because broccoli doesn't tend to be a comfort food for people whereas a lot of people have you know that childhood association with sweets and everything else and I totally agree um with what beyond chocolate are trying to do in terms of actually teach us that intuition about knowing well how much is too much Well, used to it's an exercise I used to be a lecturer in behavior change and I used to do it with my students and we at the start I'd say to them well how many roses would you normally have at Christmas and and or a quality street or whatever and they'd say oh yeah I'd sit you know watching a uh, back to the future and I'd eat 24 or 30 or whatever and and so we'd 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 practice eating one mindfully and and I'd say to them okay well you know how many more could you eat in this way and they were like oh god like sorry yeah Um, and these were young lads like nine you know and, and women like 19 years old and um, it was when they started to attend to it. So it comes back to what we were talking about, where your attention goes, you know, your brain follows when they start to attend to it, when they started to actually notice the flavors notice their own personal hunger notice how they felt about it and um, that was the difference and like you said so well John you know if the secretaries had the food on their desk they weren't paying attention to it they were just scoffing it because it was there in their environment just like you know often we'll pick up a you know a message or an email and everything and not really pay attention to it and just kind of shoot it off um but I think the concept of Whether or not it should be in your environment is an interesting one because there's two things at play here. One is delayed gratification can work really well for some people. So that's actually you know choosing your battles. So do you want to have the M&Ms on your desk each day? And is that going to bring you the most joy? Or would you rather actually on a Friday go for a really nice coffee and cake, somewhere where you absolutely are going to savor that cake, you're going to really enjoy it. And so actually it's external to your environment. So it's not in your environment, but you take yourself there and you make it an occasion and you really get the most pleasure out of it. Or are you someone that can actually train yourself to eat in an intuitive way at home Um, and therefore you can have things in your cupboard? And it might be that you actually start, and this might sound ridiculous, but I always totally believe in starting small, with just having two squares of chocolate in your house, because then, you know, that's all you can have at the time. And you're forced to almost make that intuitively and you're almost rationing yourself in that way. And then, you know, when your confidence builds that you can actually be satisfied with two squares, then you can start to have more in your house as it goes on. But it really depends on you as an individual. For me personally, if I know it's there, I'm too aware of the fact that it's there. And if I'm in a bad mood, if I'm hungry, if something bad has happened in work or anything else, I, my, my willpower is going to be depleted and I'm much more likely to reach for that thing. And so I just know that if I don't have it in my environment, it makes it much more likely that I'll actually stay on track. Um, and I always have cake on the weekends because, you know, and, and, or like, you know, wine on the weekends and those kind of things. And I really look forward to that. And I really savor that moment when I have it. And that's, you know, this is what I talk about when I talk about finding joy in your healthy habits. You know, if you, eat in a way and, you know, exercise in a way and look at your mental health in a a certain way, you know, 80% of the time, the rest of that kind of 15, 20% of the time, you know, you can find joy and pleasure in things that maybe aren't as healthy. Um, But if you do so in a mindful way, it's just a much nicer way to live your life than to feel like you're restricted, you're binging, you're restricted, you're binging, you're in this kind of moral dilemma with yourself constantly talking to yourself about oh i ate this therefore i'm a good person i did this therefore i'm a bad person and all of that and we don't really want to get into a moral relationship with you know our food and our exercise and our health because that's not a very safe place to be
1: yeah no that's really good okay well heather this has been really fascinating heather um where do people go if they want to find out more about what you do
0: um so my website is just drheathermckee.co.uk um and i've got a new course coming up so it's the bite-sized healthy habits course so it's all about making small tiny changes um but in a very evidence-based and robust way um to kind of create that lasting change um and that's on my website as well so drheathermckee.co.uk
1: great okay well thanks very much heather
0: thanks for your time john
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ideas Lab podcast. Please do subscribe. And if you've enjoyed this episode, it would be great if you could leave us a review. You can get links and details of everything mentioned in the podcast in the show notes, along with photos and video clips from many of our episodes. Just go to theideaslab.org forward slash podcast.